God's word. And uh, I'm going to talk to you guys about the calling, the calling of God. We're going to talk really over, I don't know, a few weeks, we're going to be talking about this, the call of God. We're going to talk about uh, being worthy of the call of God. I don't feel sometimes worthy of the call that God has called me with. The Apostle Paul himself, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he said, I'm not worthy of the calling. I'm not worthy to be an apostle, he said. Because, and he gave a reason. He gave a really good reason. He said, because I persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He oversaw the execution of those who were loyal to Jesus. And yet God called them into the ministry. And so the next verse, verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only because of God's grace that we are worthy to be called into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the call of God is not just for some few special elite Christians. The call of God is for each and every one of us. I want you to understand that. That's really, I, I want to drive that point home as we're talking about this over the next few weeks, that we, we all have a call. Every one of us are called of God. If, if you name the name of Jesus, God has called you with a calling. And you've either submitted to that or you're resisting that. But you are called with a high calling of God. Every one of you. Every one of you in this building today has work to do for the kingdom. Every one of you have a purpose that's ordained by God. I, and I say this often, you're going to hear this probably 100,000 times. Every believer needs to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. All of us. If we name the name of Jesus, we have a purpose. And God wants to use us. And so we're going to talk about that today. Worthy of the call. And we're going to look into Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. We'll read just three verses here, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, and he's writing from jail again, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he, he says, I, I beg you, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, the vocation wherewith you have been called. Many are called. Few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. You, if you watch, if you're into sports and you watch draft night, whether it be football or basketball or baseball, you see young men get their names called. They're called. But not every one of the men who get their names called will see action on the field. They've got to go to training camps. And team meetings, tryouts, they've got to compete for a position on the team. Many are called, few are chosen. So we're going to talk about the, the call of God this morning. All of us are called. That's, that's, I, I want to go verse by verse here. We're going to begin in verse 1. And Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. 
My pastor said this to me 23 years ago. I was a 22-year-old man who finally yielded to the call of God. I had been running. I, I knew from the, uh, an early age, probably the age of nine years old, I knew that I had a call upon my life. I ran from that. But I had finally yielded at the age of 22. And my pastor called me. When, when, when he understood this, we, he called the meeting. We were sitting down in his office. And, and, and he told me, you need to walk worthy. He, he quoted this very verse. He said, you need to walk worthy of the calling with which God has called you. That's what he told me. And then he said this. He said, you need to act like you're already where you're going, even though you have not yet arrived. He said, you say that God's called you to preach. You need to read your Bible like a preacher. You need to pray like a preacher. You need to develop these spiritual disciplines and act like you're already where you're going, even though you have not yet arrived. And I would encourage you, whatever God's called you to do, you may not have that platform yet. It took years before I ever got up on the platform to preach. But for all those years, I walked as though I was a preacher. I wore my tie like a preacher. I carried my Bible like every, everything I knew to do. I mean, we, preachers wore ties back then. <laughs> I did everything that I knew preachers did. Because I knew I had a call upon my life. You need to act as though you're already going, or where you're going, even though you have not yet arrived. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. This is the amplified version. I wanted to read it just because I like the emphasis that this brings. It says, because of this, brethren, be all the more solicitous and eager to make sure your calling and election, and, and to make sure it's to ratify, to strengthen to make steadfast, be all the more solicitous and eager to make sure, to ratify, to strengthen, to make steadfast your calling and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble or fall. Thus, there will be richly and abundantly provided for you an entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's called us with a call. We need to take heed to it. We, we need to be steadfast. I mean, we, we need to take the call of God that he has placed upon our life with all gravity and all seriousness. I, I view my job as, as, a, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel. I, I, my, my job is not necessarily to do ministry. I, I do ministry. It, it, it is a part of what I do. But I, I think the ultimate uh, purpose of my calling is to equip the people of God for their calling. That, that's what Ephesians chapter uh, 4 talks about. Verse 11, he says that God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What, what for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It doesn't say that he gave us these fivefold ministers for the work of the ministry. It says that he gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the job of a fivefold minister is not necessarily to do ministry. It is to train the people of God to do ministry. All of us 
are to be ministers for Jesus Christ, to serve. And that, that, that word simply means to serve, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all called to ministry. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul addresses this, this man named Archippus. We don't know a whole lot about this man, but he tells Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I believe that is the charge to every believer, to every one of us who follows Jesus. There, there is a charge to us to take heed to the ministry and fulfill it. What has God called you specifically to do? This, this uh, word, take heed, in the Greek, it's blipo. And it means to see or discern with the mind's eye. To discover by use or to know by experience. To turn the thoughts or directions of the mind uh, to a thing. To consider, contemplate, to look at, to weigh carefully and examine. Have you ever got a glimpse of the call of God on your life? If you'll slow down long enough, I know that God will do that. I ran from the call of God. I, I had a traumatic experience, 22 years old, uh, as, a, as a guy who was trying to get an established walk with Jesus going. I had been, bad, I'd been a believer for a year and a half. I, I was in and out, in and out, wishy-washy, trying. I, I wanted with everything that was on the inside of me. I had things clinging on to me that I didn't know how to get free of. And so I was having a hard time keeping a consistent, consistent walk with Jesus. I had a radical experience where God laid me flat on my face and bounced me off the ceiling. I mean, this is what it felt like. And after three hours of that, my life was radically changed. And I remember going to work that next week and being, I was loading boxes in a Walmart distribution center, loading boxes off a conveyor belt, stacking, building walls out of boxes in, eight, in the back of an 18-wheeler. And I would go into the, that, those trailers after this encounter with God, and I could do nothing but weep. The power and the presence of God would come all over me. And the men that I worked with would come into the truck and look at me like I was crazy and say, what's wrong with you? And I'd just say, I can't explain it. God was doing business with me. God was getting a hold of me. God was getting my attention. And he took me out into the parking lot at 3 a.m. in the morning after my shift, and I opened my Bible up. And, and when, when, it, when I did, it opened to the book of Ecclesiastes, and he said to me, when are you going to stop running from the call upon your life? And so in that moment, I yielded to the call of God. And God began to show me, God to begin to unfold. Again, this word blepo, to discern with the mind's eye, to discover by use or to know by experience, to turn the thoughts or direct the mind to a thing. God began to set my mind upon his purpose. He began to reveal and unfold it to me. The Song of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, and I read that book that night, but in, the, in that book, in, in, in verse 10 of chapter 3, he said, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of man are to be occupied. He said, I've seen the purpose of man. I've seen the things that God has ordained for man to do. Solomon got a bleepo. His mind was opened. He took heed of the things of God. And he says, he has made everything beautiful in its season. And he has put, check this out, eternity in their hearts, 
except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. God has set eternity in their hearts. What in the world does that mean? That in the the sons of men, God has set eternity in their hearts. If you you said it out, the, the, the Hebrew word there is olam. The Greek equivalent of that is a word that we were somewhat familiar with, cosmos. God put the cosmos, God put the olam in the heart of man. And he hid it so that no man can figure it out. What does that mean? That means you will not discover the purpose of God while sitting in your lazy boy watching Monday night football. You will not discover the purpose of God through any carnal means because it's hidden to man. It's only by the light of the Spirit of God coming alive on the inside of us and revealing that eternal purpose to us. The things of God are revealed to us by His Spirit coming and indwelling us and making those things come alive to us. God has set the cosmos. God has put an eternal purpose in the heart of man. Sir and ma'am, before you were born, God wrote a destiny for you. God wrote a plan for you. God designed a purpose for you. Amen? There's a a job on this earth that only Scotty Lawler can do. There's a, a, a job on this planet that only Eileen Harris can do. Right? There's a job on this planet that only Paul Greer can do. I can't do it. Pastor Bill can't do it. Rachel Hayes can't do it. He's the only one that can do it. It's an eternal purpose designed by Almighty God. Every one of us have it. Every one of us have a purpose. And I liken it to a puzzle. I like to do puzzles. I like to go to the store find a really nice picture and then go home and open the box. And how many of you know when you open the box, it looks nothing like the cover. And, and, and it can become painful. It can become stressful at times. There are times when I have to walk away and take a break, maybe an hour, maybe a day, and come back to it with a fresh perspective. And that's kind of what Fulfilling the call of God, taking heed to the call of God is like. God shows you a thing. I'll never forget the day that I was riding in my truck on 123 between Seguin, Texas and San Marcos, Texas. And I popped over a hill and God said, I've called you to pastor in in this city. And guess what? He took me to that city and I pastored there for nine years. I could take you to moment after moment where God has has shown me the picture on the front of the puzzle box. God revealed his plan and his purpose by his spirit. The cosmos were unveiled before my eyes. I got a glimpse of what God has called me to. I've seen in my life, I've fulfilled parts of that. It's like putting the pieces of the puzzle. I found one piece of it here and another piece of it here and those connect together here and piece by piece. And that's what life is like. It's like trying to put this puzzle of the call of God together. And listen, the call of God is not something you arrive at. When God called me way back there 23 years ago, it it was not as though I arrived. I have to walk worthy, even though I am not yet arrived where I'm going. The call of God is more like, how many of you watched Bugs Bunny growing up? You remember when he would ride the donkey and he would take that fishing pole with the carrot 
and he would dangle it out over that donkey, and the donkey would, like that, right? That's kind of what the call of God, the call of God is a voice that's out in front of us and it's beckoning us. It's calling us to go further, to take another step, to move, to pursue the plans, the purposes, the things that he, it's the spirit of God wooing us into his eternal design. That's the call of God. And God is leading us by his wisdom into his eternal purpose. And so as, as Paul said to Archippus, See that you discharge carefully the duties of the ministry and fulfill the stewardship which you have received in the Lord. Take heed to the ministry that you have been called to and fulfill it. Let's move on to verse 2. We'll read verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How do we do that? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Paul says, if you've been called with a high calling, you better walk low. The way that we respond to the high call of God is by humbling ourselves. We're taught to promote ourselves. But God says, humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, I will exalt you. You know, I have never in my ministry, my wife can attest to this, in my ministry, I've never called through my little black book or my phone book and say, hey, will you have me preach? There are guys that, that they find websites of churches and they call the pastor and ask themselves to preach. I've never done that. My pastor taught me from day one. He said, never invite yourself anywhere to preach. If you're called of God, he'll open the doors. And so I, I waited for three agonizing years. And God would give me little opportunities. The first, one of my first chances to ever preach was on Alamo Plaza with our Bible college ministry team going out in the streets of San Antonio to do ministry. I'd preach anywhere that I got an opportunity. On the bus, I had a captive audience. Every opportunity, Sunday school class, they let me teach a class. So I'd stand up for 30 minutes and teach, preach to the kids. I took every opportunity. I was walking as though I was where I was going, even though I had not yet arrived. And you know what? God began to open the doors. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will exalt you. Walk low. Don't be like a llama. You know that it's easy to... Keep a llama fenced in. It doesn't take an extravagant fence to keep a llama in. If you build a fence with one wire at this level, you can entrap a llama forever. Did you know that? The llama could easily escape if it would just lower its head. The llama around the world is known as a symbol 
of pride and arrogance because the llama refuses to bow its head. Man, be a great moment to pass some mirrors out. I mean, how many of you can say, I can be obstinate, I can be stiff-necked, I can resist, right? We all can be proud. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's the way that God moves. It's the way that God works. Let's, let's move on. We, we, we've got to respond with, with lowliness, with gentleness, with long-suffering, uh, bearing with one another in love. Can, can I break this down for you real quick? Lowliness. I might mess this up, but I'm going to try. In the Greek, it's tapainophrosune. Tapainophrosune. How was that, Darren? Close enough? Sorry, resident Greek scholar. <laughs> tapainophrosune. It means having a humble, humble opinion of one's self. I like this one right here. A deep sense of one's Littleness, modesty, humility, lowliness of mind. God's called us with a high calling, but he said in this, think little of yourself. How arrogant are we that there's this, I mean, this God who created everything that we know, and we really think that our opinions matter. I'm just one in billions I'm not that significant. That's the mindset we need to approach this calling with. So he says, with, with, with lowliness, with gentleness, that, that word gentleness is meekness. Right? Then, then he, he, he says, with long suffering, this one kind of hurts us. Mac Ruth Omiya. Mac Ruth or Mac Roth Omiya, something like that in the Greek. Patience, endurance. Constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, slowness. This one's a tough pill to swallow. Slowness in avenging wrongs. Have you been wronged? How quick did you draw the fist? How long did it take for your blood to rise? Slow to avenge when we've been wronged. That's the word here. And then this, this part can be tough for us as well. It, it sounds really nice, and we, we all love to think that we practice this one, but bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. This is quite literally translated upholding one another in love, which is agape, brotherly love. You know what Christians are really good at? We're, I'll tell you what we're better at than upholding. We're better at tear downing. Man, I don't know why sister so-and-so cleans on Thursdays. Doesn't she know it's supposed to be done on Tuesdays? We are really good at criticizing what other people do. If you're ever around me and those kind of conversations pop up, this is going to be something like what my, how my response goes. Well, you know, I'm thankful for Sister Susie. 
because she works two jobs and she's a single mom and she comes up here tirelessly every Thursday and cleans. So if you're criticizing a singer or a musician or a pastor or a sound guy or a video guy or an administrator in the church or part of the cleaning team or part of the volunteers around me, you're gonna usually get an uplifting response. Not always, but I try to do that. I try to turn it to positive. We need to learn to lift each other up. Amen? To be speaking well of each other, right? I may not always hit home runs every Sunday morning, but hey, I've got four kids and I've cried with you and I've prayed with you and I visited you when you were sick and I took you out to dinner, right? We, we, we gotta overlook one another's faults and weaknesses. When we don't have a great day, we've gotta be willing to stand by and lift up instead of tearing down. Our human spirit, our human nature, we love to tear other people down because it makes us feel so good. And then we feel miserable because it's a sign of a rotting soul and we're decaying. I need to move on. With loneliness, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Verse three, endeavoring. See, we think that the key to having a great ministry and fulfilling our call is being able to preach really well. Being able to hit all the right notes. Having a billion followers on social media. These are the things we think speak of a significant ministry. The Apostle Paul says, if you want a significant ministry, humble yourself, be meek, right? There's a whole nother way. Be long-suffering with one another, bear with one another in love. This is the real way that we fulfill the call that God's called us with. And he says, endeavor, endeavor, that's an important word, endeavor, spodazo, to exert oneself, to give diligence, to endeavor, to make haste. Make haste. Give diligence to keeping the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How many of you know unity takes work? If you're a, a, a parent of more than one sibling, you understand that unity takes work. It takes work to keep peace in your household. It takes work to keep peace in your marriage. It, it takes work to keep peace in the church. Anywhere there's relationship, it takes work to maintain unity. It takes work. We have to work at this thing. We have to give ourselves to staying humble to forbearing with one another, to building each other up in love. We have to work at it. It takes a whole lot of work. A lot of churches have unions, but they don't have unity. A lot of families, there's union, but there's no unity. A lot of marriages, there's, there are unions, but there is no unity. There's difference in a union and unity. Union is tying two cats' tails together. 
There's a union, but there is absolutely no unity in that. We have to work to have unity. The Apostle Paul is giving us indicators of what it takes for us to fulfill this call that God has called us with. It's not being successful. It's not having a brilliant website. It's not about wearing the right suit. It's not about the way that you hold your head or the way you hold the microphone when you preach. It's not about uh, how many backup singers that you've got. Those are not the keys to success in ministry. It's all about the nature of Jesus Christ manifesting in us, the people of God, and walking as he walks. Because Jesus is our model. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one who has lived this thing out. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together?